Our vision is to give every baseball player around the world the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, respond to the message, and grow in the relationship with Jesus Christ. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. This is the Training for an Eternal Crown podcast with Full Count Ministries. Glad you're here and diving into this study with us in 1 Peter 3 today. Carter Reese here, Director of Full Count Resources, and we've invited Chad Hutton, Pastor of City of Refuge Church, to take us through First and Second Peter. This is the third episode of this eight-week series on First and Second Peter, and I encourage you to go listen to the first two episodes if you haven't already. This is supplemental material to the book study we're going through, so I encourage you to go pick that up on our website or in the app. Now, I'm going to pass it over to Chad so he can take us through 1 Peter chapter 3. Hello, Full Count. It's Chad Hutton. We're in 1 Peter chapter 3. Ah, oh, it's so good. Remember, Peter, his name was really Simon. And he was a fisherman. One day, Jesus walked up on him. Jesus got in his boat, called him, made him one of the elect exiles, which is something, a term that uh, Peter's using in his letter to these people. Uh, he's writing this letter about 30 years after Christ's ministry. These are mostly Gentiles who have become Christ followers in uh, northern Asia Minor, which is now uh, modern-day Turkey. And uh, uses a lot of language from the Old Testament, Old Covenant, from Exodus and Deuteronomy that is typically used for the nation of Israel. Because now the Christ follower, whether Jewish or Gentile, is the new Israel. We have a new identity. We're reborn by God. We're children of God. He has uh, put his spirit inside of us. And Peter's writing to them to encourage them because they're persecuted uh, they're going through difficult times. It's not popular in the Roman Empire to be a Christ follower. And in the middle of suffering, what are you going to do? You're going to worship the one true God. You're going to worship your Lord Jesus Christ. And we know from uh, Peter's life firsthand, he knew what it was like for his life to be turned upside down by God who came out of heaven through his son Jesus and loved Peter and was patient with Peter and uh, cleansed him and purified him. And Peter is saying that we're all called to live for Jesus, take up a cross and follow him, uh, worship him because of his mercy and grace, be guided by his word. And so uh, he is uh, pointing out the identity that we have in Christ and how we should live. And so um, he talks in the chapter 2, about how uh, we live our life based on Jesus. The, we are uh, in Him, so we are the new temple, we are the new priesthood, we're living sacrifices because of His sacrifice. People are going to reject Him. They're going to reject us. God spoke about that in advance, but we are a kingdom of priests. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We're God's possession, and uh, we should live like it. We're called out of darkness into light. 
And uh, we once were not a people. We didn't have an identity in God, but now we do. So we have to wage war against our sinful nature and cut out all that sin in our life. And so Peter kind of talks about what is it like to live under a government system that you don't agree with? Well, you submit to that government. You, you submit to authority around you. You show people that your number one authority is Jesus Christ and that you're not some type of rebel or uh, going out and uh, burning things down in the streets. You live a quiet life. You speak up for Jesus Christ. If they come to persecute you, you put Jesus Christ first, not your agenda first. And what is it like if you're a servant? And this would be uh, in the Roman Empire in the first century, and your master is an evil, wicked master. And you're living in the home of your master. Well, your number one master is Jesus Christ. And you're reminded that he came down to earth, and he was mistreated, and he suffered, and he was persecuted. But he continued uh, to walk faithfully for his father. And uh, he continued to give glory to God. And he is our great shepherd and the overseer of our soul. So in chapter 3, 1 Peter, he's going to move on to more of the societal roles. So he goes from just the government at large to the servant within the home to the wife and the husband. So he kind of starts off in verse 1 with the wives, ladies first. But this is what's so fascinating. In the Roman Empire, women, they were not seen as uh, valuable as men. They were not seen much valuable than servants. But right out the gate, Peter addresses the wives in uh, his letter to any of the churches that would read this. He addresses these women, these wives, as equal in status to the husband's. That did not happen in the Roman Empire. But in the economy of Jesus Christ, going back to Genesis 1, verse 27, men and women are created equal in the image of God. God sees them both valuable with the same dignity, the same worth, just as God the Father and God the Son are equal. We can't say that they're less than in power and dignity and worth and value and love and and, and, and all these things that we see with the Father and the Son, they just have different roles, but they're equal to each other. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, same way in marriage. The husband and wife are equal in God's eyes, but they have different roles. So he addresses the wives equally, and one of the roles is that the husband is the leader. He's the covenant head, just like head coach, head chef. The, the husband is in the lead. And just like the old game, Simon says, uh, the husband is lead and, and what he says goes. And so that means the wife in her role, she is to follow. Obviously, she puts her two cents in. She may be even more intelligent than the husband. She may be more creative. She may be more gifted and talented and educated. Uh, and she certainly doesn't follow her husband into sin. In fact, What's really interesting is you see in verse 1, it talks about a wife who's maybe married to a man who does not obey the word. It's implying what's it like for the Christ-following wife married to an unbelieving husband. Back in the first century, um, it was expected that a wife would follow the religion of her husband. Whatever religion she had before, she's going to shift. 
She's going to sw- swap teams and uh, she's on the team of her husband. And whatever his religion is, that's what she's got to go through. That's what she's got to follow. But not if you're a wife that follows Christ. So a wife that is a Christ follower, she is not to follow the religion of her unbelieving husband, but she's also not to be disrespectful and usurp his leadership. So what is she supposed to do? Well, her actions have to speak louder than words. And so Peter's talking about her respectful conduct, her pure conduct. Now, I want to stop here and say, if you're listening to this and you're a man, especially if you're a husband, um, are you respectable? Is your conduct lovable? Is the way you the way you act, the way you talk, the way you don't say certain things and don't do certain things, is it is it even respectable? Is it something that can be appreciated? Because here's Peter talking to wives, and he's saying, "Be respectable, wives, to your husbands. Even if you have an unbelieving husband, may your conduct be pure. Your actions speak louder than your words. But men, you better be respectable." and lovable and treat your wife in a way or treat women in a way that's honorable. So Peter's saying to wives, it's all about character. It's all about focusing on the heart. And let me let me go back to the guys. Guys, if you're listening, if, if you're not married, if you're not married, are you looking for a girl with godly character? And if you know young ladies that don't have godly character, do you encourage them to have godly character? Or do you laugh at or flirt with this ungodly character in other young ladies? You shouldn't do that. If you're a man that's married and you have daughters, you should want them to have godly character. Because if they do not have godly character, then a man, a future husband that has godly character is not going to be looking for your daughters. He's going to be looking for a young lady that has godly character. So we got to think about this. Now, Peter's not saying that a woman cannot have makeup on. She cannot braid her hair. She cannot have jewelry. He's saying it's not so much about fixing up your face as much as fixing up your heart. It's not about, you know, no jewelry, no braiding your hair. He's just saying it's all about who you are on the inside. Impress Jesus Christ. Don't impress the culture. It's all about Christ, not about the culture. Now, this is extra difficult in our time with social media. It's horrible. Social media has caused all of us, young and old, male and female, to be plastic. We post all these things online, our best portrait, our best moments, our, uh, the best things that happen to us. And it's also fake and phony. That's not pleasing to Jesus. We should never endorse that, especially with the ladies who often are very insecure about what they look like, about what people think they look like. And so it says in verse 4 that God is literally, he loves a servant's heart. Well, if somebody's obsessed with the outside of a female, if a wife is obsessed with an out, the outside or the future wife, the young ladies. They're not going to focus on having godly character. But that's what God loves. And then Peter pulls in the Old Covenant matriarchs, the Old Testament matriarchs like Sarah. She dressed herself up in humility and submission to her husband. And Peter's saying, that is attractive. 
to God. That's beautiful to God. So that kind of, it should take the pressure off the godly wives to be all about the exterior and to be on social media all the time, kind of compare themselves. That comparison game is deadly. And we should not feed into that when, as, as men, whether we're husbands or whether we're young men around young ladies, we should not feed into that comparison game. We should, we should pray for them and encourage them to have godly character, to take the pressure off of what they see out in the world. And then Peter switches over to the husbands, giving them instruction. He says, basically, and, I, and I'll just say, you know, you don't have to understand your wife, fellas, if you're married. You don't have to understand her. You don't have to understand everything, the way she ticks, the way she thinks. It may seem so illogical, irrational, but you have to be understanding towards her. In other words, have an understanding spirit, a forgiving spirit towards her. You have to seek to understand her and, and, and not gripe and complain when you don't get it. Learn to listen. Go while, while your wife is talking, you don't understand what she's saying. It seems irrational. Start praying, saying, God, help me to listen to her. Help me to treat her how Jesus Christ treats me. And guys, if you're husbands, Jesus Christ, your groom is so patient with you. He listens to you all day long, griping, complaining, acting like a complete fool. You're praying, praying, praying. You haven't read the word of God. You're not listening to him. You're just talking to him. Well, he listens. You got to listen to your wife. It doesn't mean you have to do everything that she suggests, but be understanding, be patient, honor her. Do not demean her just because she's not stronger than you. You know, back in the day in the Roman Empire, kind of like today, but maybe even worse, it was a dog-eat-dog world. If you weren't stronger and faster and jumped higher, then you were JV. You were less than. You're in the minor leagues. You're in single A if you couldn't cut it, if you didn't have the physical strength. Well, a lot of men look at women thought, well, if you can't do more push-ups than me, if you can't jump as high as me, if you're not as strong as me, then you're just less than me. But in God's economy, it's not so. It's not so. Just because she's not as physically stronger, even if we would call her the weaker vessel, does not mean she's less valuable. She is equally valuable in God's sight. And you should treat her so. You should lead her sacrificially. You should understand the fact that she may not be as strong, but that doesn't mean she's less than. Husbands, are you like this? Do you remind yourself that if your wife is a Christ follower, she's a co-heir with you in Christ. She's not less than. If you don't listen to her as her husband, why would Christ listen to you as your husband? Yes, I'm going to say that again. Think about this. This is verse 7. It's pretty phenomenal. Peter's talking about how your prayers are going to be hindered if you don't treat your wife with delicacy. So again, remember guys, you are technically married to Christ spiritually. So in your earthly marriage, think about this. If you don't listen to your earthly bride, you don't listen to her as her husband, why would Christ listen to you as your husband? So you're praying this and you're praying that, God, I want a promotion. God, you know, I'd like to buy this and buy that. I need a little bit of money. God, I'd like to go over here uh, next year. 
I, I, you know, I need something from you. God, I want a blessing. If you're not treating your wife with care and concern, every time you pray, Jesus is going to say, go apologize to her. Go be understanding to her. Go tell her that you're sorry, that you're acting like a jerk. Why would Christ listen to your prayers as your groom when as a husband you're treating your own bride in such a disrespectful, dishonoring, unloving way? So Peter really, really sticking it to the husband and he's saying, be Christ-like. Now, he shifts from the societal home life to the church family life. How should the church family life be? Well, obviously unified, compassionate, full of love, humble, and tender towards each other. Not stone cold, not stone walling, not threatening, not putting people in the penalty box and they don't even know how long they're going to be in it and why they're in it and um, when they're going to get out. We should be compassionate. We should be unified. Brothers and sisters in Christ that are on our team. Listen, we don't have to like them, but we have to love them. We have to be unified with them. Are you unified with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Maybe you know a brother and sister in Christ and they're not as mature as you emotionally. They're not as mature as you spiritually. They make foolish choices. They say foolish things. But in the blood of Christ, you're going to be worshiping with them for all of eternity. Do you give them compassion? Do you love them even if you don't like them? Are you tender towards them? Are you, are you extra, extra stone cold towards them? Remember, Jesus washed Judas' feet. Most likely, he didn't rub extra hard. He washed his feet just like he did the other disciples' feet. He was humble. And we have to be like that with each other. So Peter gets a little bit more detailed about this. Don't retaliate when people persecute us, when they disrespect us, when they threaten us. We are not to retaliate. Jesus did not retaliate. He didn't return evil for evil. In other words, we're supposed to bless them. How do we retaliate? We retaliate through blessing. That's how we retaliate. We are called to bless even in the face of persecution, in the face of suffering, in the face of threats and disrespect. And by that, we will be blessed by God. In other words, God sees it. He recognizes it. So I want to ask you, do you serve in the kingdom, in your community, in your home, in this world, by praying for people, even if you don't like them, by forgiving people, even if you don't like what they did? Are you like Jesus or are you like you? You're not supposed to be like you. You're supposed to be like Jesus. And if you're listening and you're a guy, listen, the Holy Scripture, it's supposed to pin you on the mat so that you tap out and you say, I need help. I need help to live this way. That's right. You need supernatural help. The Apostle Peter, he goes to the Old Testament. This is Psalm 34. And he talks about a lifestyle that, that's a blessing from God. If you live the lifestyle that's an abundant life, your tongue is not going to be evil. You're going to shun all evil. You're going to be peaceful, full of peace. And you're going to pray about it. In other words, something happens you don't like, you pray about it. And he goes on to say, most people, they're not persecuted if they don't draw attention to themselves. 
But what if you're kind of living a quiet life for Jesus? You're being persecuted. The Lord sees that as a blessing. So don't fear it. Maybe you're suffering because you're doing the right thing. Jesus hasn't walked out on you. Don't fear people that persecute you. Don't be anxious about it. Remember, God recognizes you. What do you do in the middle of suffering? Be convinced of Christ to the point that you're ready to tell anyone at any time why you worship through your suffering. People look at you. They're expecting you to retaliate against, uh, against them when they persecute you and they, they disrespect you. But you say, you know what? I worship Jesus. And they say, why would you do that? Because you have hope in Christ. But you're not supposed to be a jerk about it. You're supposed to be respectful. In that verse 15, the word def- defense is where we get the word apologetics. The sad thing is most of the time our defense is excuses for our sin. We defend our own sin. We shouldn't be that way. We should be defending why we worship through suffering and don't retaliate. It's because of our hope in Christ. And he goes on to say in verse 16, that if you live for Jesus and you don't retaliate, you won't feel guilty afterwards. But other people are going to respect you. They're going to be full of shame by the way they treated you. So verse 17, suffer for God, not for doing something illegal, not for doing something immoral, not for something self-inflicted. Suffer because of your faith in Christ. And again, verse 18, he brings back Christ. And this is the same thing he said in chapter 2, verse 21. Christ suffered. He was perfect, and he suffered for us who were imperfect to present us to God as perfect. He died, and he was raised from the dead. This is amazing. Why would Jesus do that for us? Because of his love. Now, verses 19 and 20 are very controversial. I'm going to tell you what I think is going on here. But remember, the, the original readers were primarily Gentile Christ followers being persecuted. They were the minorities in their world. It wasn't popular in the Roman Empire to be a Christ follower. So, Peter's trying to go back to Noah. Obviously, he really likes Noah because he also mentions uh, Noah in his second epistle, 2 Peter. Mentions him in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. And in his first epistle, what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, he talks about the prophets of old had the spirit of Christ in them. They were proclaiming Christ in a sense. Even though they didn't know the name Christ, the spirit of Christ was in them. They were proclaiming God. So in a technical sense, Peter's thinking Noah was one of the Old Testament prophets who was full of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of Christ. And he was heralding the righteousness of God, but he was being persecuted. The world didn't understand. He was, he was suffering. He, he was asked to build this ark, and nobody understood. But through faith, he was preserved when the judgment came, and the ark, by faith, preserved him. All Peter is trying to say in verse 19 and 20 is that these Gentiles in the first century, they're being persecuted like Noah, but they need to stay the course and give a defense of why they believe just like Noah, who is like a prophet with the Spirit of God in him. So Peter is pointing to the flood, our baptism, and Christ's death and resurrection and tying it all together so that we will will remember we are part of the Old Testament saints' heritage. We're all in this family together. And you'll notice in verse 21 when he talks about baptism, he's not saying the water literally saves you. It's symbolic. When you become a Christ follower, you cry out that he purifies your mind and your conscience because Christ was resurrected. That same resurrection power can purify your mind. 
Baptism points to the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead on our behalf. He died, was raised from the dead so that we could be raised from the dead. And it points to faith. We have faith in this fact of Jesus. So Jesus is reigning victoriously in heaven next to the Father and supernatural beings are under his authority. So here's a challenge. In your role, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're employed, whether you're living under a government that you don't like, are you worshiping through it, suffering for Jesus, living the abundant life, full of peace, full of respect, shunning evil, including your tongue? Do you retaliate or do you bless for God's sake? You may not like what's going on. You may not like the relationships you're in. You may not like uh, the circumstances. That's okay. Jesus, he suffered for us. He died for us. He rose from us. And our baptism points to that. And we can identify with Noah in a fallen, broken, ungodly, foul world. We put our faith in God and we keep moving forward because it's not about us. It's all about him. And the apostle Peter got that memo as he got to walk with Jesus. And through faith, we get to walk with the same Jesus. Great information, Chad. As always, uh, that was so good. Thank you for challenging us to be more like Jesus in our relationships, to suffer well for God, and to worship Him through it. Remember, guys, this is supplemental material content to our book study, and I hope you guys are diving into that on First and Second Peter as well, where we are encouraging you to answer some prompt questions, worship with us, and pray through the Word with us. I'm loving this teaching from Chad, and I can't wait to hear him talk about 1 Peter 4 next week. Keep pressing on, guys. Love y'all. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next week. you have enjoyed this episode of the training for an eternal crown podcast you can visit our website for more resources and also find this podcast on all major platforms full count ministries exist to create disciples using the game of baseball we are a non-profit ministry and if you have benefited from this resource we would encourage you to consider donating to the cause to reach every baseball player with the gospel giving them the opportunity to respond to the gospel and then to grow in the relationship with jesus please like subscribe and share this podcast so that you can play a part in accomplishing the mission that god has put on our hearts for baseball players around the globe.